This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. I'm finding that bitterness holds a major grip on many of our lives. And uh, Pastor Darren was talking about that just with uh, this family that was their lives were so tragically taken. And um, she was able to escape bitterness. But for many of us, it, it, it has a grip on us. Now, most of us would never admit it. We would, uh, you know, we, we would never say, well, I've become this cranky, this, this crotchety, this bitter person. And we, we typically don't admit it. In fact, most of the time, we don't even realize that we have allowed bitterness to creep into our lives. It's something that has come in slowly, gradually, and, and even unnoticed. But by looking at our attitudes and, and looking at our actions, it's pretty clear that a fairly high number of people in our community, as, as well as even church people, carry around hurt that little by little, by little, by little, without their realizing it, has turned into bitterness. Now, as we go through life, unfortunately, bad things happen to good people. And I'll admit that there are many things that have the potential to make us bitter. Listen to these real scenarios that have taken place in the lives of a few of our own church members here. This is just here, this church. A young woman is raped by her own brother and is threatened with physical harm if she goes to the authorities. A young mother with small children has her husband commit suicide and leaves her to raise the children alone. A young girl is abandoned by her parents because she can't measure up to their expectations and standards. A wife is brutally beaten by her husband before he flees the house and flees authorities. A wife comes under the rage of her husband and in a fit of anger, he discharges a firearm in the house, thankfully missing her. A young mother suffers a massive heart attack and dies, leaving her husband and child. A wife comes home, finds her husband in bed with another woman. A husband who is also a father of small kids loses his high position at his job simply because the boss didn't like him. These are just a few of the traumatic situations that have taken place in the lives of some people in this church. However, even though there are plenty of situations like those that I mentioned, yet when we just kind of boil everything out of it, probably the number one reason for bitterness would be unresolved conflict with family or friends. For example, two people who were once close have a disagreement. One hurts the other. It's never resolved. Over time, bitter, bitterness makes its way into their lives. Or sometimes it's in the context of parents who, who have not been good parents and, and they might have hurt or neglected or abused their children and, and that child carries hurt and anger clear to the grave. Divorce is another common cause of bitterness. The ex hurts them so deeply, and, and even though it might have taken place years and years ago, they can't seem to let it go. And then church. Church is one of the most common places where bitterness develops. 
I mean, this place that God designed to be filled with harmony and, and, and unity and love many times is a place where someone feels underappreciated or overlooked or overworked or a quote-unquote friend says something hurtful to them and, and those things embed themselves in their heart and it eventually turns into bitterness. And how many times have we heard this? I heard this about a week and a half ago. Well, they had a bad experience at a church. Now, I realize that there are times when an individual is way too sensitive and, and is looking for a bad experience to justify they're not wanting to go to church. And that, that's another lesson for another day. But, but suffice it to say that sometimes church people are not nice. And things are said and things are done and attitudes are shown that do not reflect Christ. Now, let me give some common phrases that are symptoms that someone might at least be headed towards bitterness. Here they are. I will forgive them, but I won't ever have anything else to do with them. Here's another one. I will forgive them, but I will never forget it. Here's another one. The hurt is just too deep and I can't let it go. Or... If so-and-so has anything to do with it, I won't be part of it. Or if so-and-so is there, I won't be there. Now, there are several reasons that I, I felt led to deal with this subject. One is that if your hurt or bitterness is not properly dealt with, it will affect your emotional well-being. You will end up being a, an emotional basket case that's unstable or, or even a very prickly person that not too many people want to be around. Secondly, many times it destroys your, your health, high blood pressure, heart problems, a whole gamut of, of health issues can be traced back to the stress of bitterness. But, but thirdly, bitterness will ultimately destroy your relationship with God because bitterness is not just bad. Bitterness is sin. Someone said bitterness blows out the candle of joy and leaves your soul in darkness. You know, a story is told by Tony Evans, and you've heard the story, we've all heard the story, but it helps us get headed in the right direction, so let me tell it again. It's a story about two monks. They were walking through the countryside, and, and these monks were on their way to another village to help in the harvest, and as they walked along, they spied an older woman sitting at the edge of, a, of the river, and she didn't know what to do, and she wanted to cross, but there was no bridge, water was too high for her to cross on her own, and she was fretting, didn't know what to do, and... And so the first monk said, ma'am, if you would like, we would be glad to carry you across the river. And, and she was so grateful. And so the men joined hands and lifted her between them and carried her across the river. And they got to the other side. They set her down and, and she thanked them graciously and went on her way. And well, after they had walked another mile or so, the second monk began to complain, look at my clothes, <laughs> They're filthy from carrying that woman across the river. And besides that, my, my back hurts from lifting her. And I can feel it getting stiff. And, and the first monk just nodded his head and kept on walking. A few more miles up the road, the second monk uh, bitterly griped again. My, my back is hurting me so badly. It's all because we had to carry that old woman across the river. And finally, the first monk spoke up and said, Have you wondered why I'm not complaining? The reason is I set that woman down five miles ago. Obviously, you're still carrying her. That describes how bitterness comes into our lives. We, we carry the pain of past hurts and 
And even though some of those things happened years and years ago, we still hang on to them and we won't let go of them. They consume us and eventually take us hostage. So God's word gives us a warning about bitterness. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 and 15, it says this, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Did you see that? A root of bitterness springs up and many can become defiled. Now I want to divide our lesson into three segments. Let me give the divisions just in case you fall asleep on me. We want to first of all look at the seed and the soil of bitterness. And then we want to look at the fruit and the root of bitterness. And then we want to look at the grace and the freedom from bitterness. First of all, let's look at the seed and the soil. Bitterness always begins with a seed. Let me tell you what that seed is. The seed of bitterness is hurt. Bitterness always begins with a seed of hurt. You know, sometimes the hurt is intentional. Someone hurts you on purpose. And, and as, as I said, we need to face the fact that there are some mean-spirited people in the world. And they will intentionally do things to hurt you. It's on purpose. They know what they're doing. Their goal is to inflict pain. You know, for example, I've heard many stories from those going through a divorce. And, and I'm amazed how people who pledge their love for better, for worse, and good times and bad, for richer, for poorer, till death do us part. I'm amazed at how those people can turn on a dime and go on a mission to intentionally destroy their spouse. So at times the seed of hurt is intentional. But I've also found that at times the hurt is unintentional. And I think we've all been guilty of that on occasion. And, and sorry to say I've hurt people that way. My motives were pure. I had no intention of hurting them, but, but I did. And, and generally, it was something involving my big mouth. I, I said something that was maybe insensitive or maybe I didn't realize that it had an edge to it. Sometimes I've hurt people because I was distracted. You know, for example, not too long ago, right after church was over, I was standing there in the foyer where I normally stand and people were leaving and someone stopped to tell me a story or whatever. And, and in the middle of the story, someone else came by and interrupted the conversation. I got distracted. I forgot my original conversation with the other person and and it got back to me that they were offended by that. And, and it was unintentional, but it was offensive. And by the way, I, I do get distracted, okay? If you want to talk to me about something, if you want to tell me a story related to the message or re-preach the sermon to me or ask me a theological question, because I, I, I'm just limited in, in my mental capacity, um, I probably will get distracted. That's not the best way to keep my attention there. And, and I'm sorry I'm not better at that. But, but all of that to say that because we're sometimes insensitive and, and sometimes we do get distracted or, or sometimes we have a quick tongue or sometimes our people skills are, are, are less than desirable, we end up unintentionally hurting someone else. 
So bitterness always begins with the seed of hurt. Now, one other thing I want to say here before we move on. There are also times when the hurt may be the discipline of God upon your life. You know, there are times, as as the old timers used to say, that God takes us to the woodshed. And Ephesians chapter 12, verse 5 says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and punishes everyone he accepts as a son. So, so God does allow bad things to happen to good people. And sometimes it's to get us back on track. And, you know, I, I, at different times I've talked about that there are two types of storms, the storms that God sends into our lives. First of all, there are what I call correcting storms. And, and that's what God sent to Jonah. Remember, he was out of the will of God. And, and so God sent this massive storm to correct his path. That was a correcting storm. But then sometimes God sends perfecting storms and, and, and the disciples, they were going across the Sea of Galilee in a boat and they were in the will of God. God had, Jesus had sent them across and a storm came. Were they out of the will of God? No. Were they in disobedience? No. But God sent a perfecting storm to deepen their spiritual roots, to perfect them. So don't ever forget that sometimes God disciplines. Sometimes He's trying to correct us. Sometimes He's just trying to perfect us. So, God allows storms, hurts in our lives. The seed of bitterness is hurt. But what then would the soil of bitterness be? What is it that causes some people... It seems like some people are more prone to be susceptible to bitterness... Well, probably the number one contributing factor is unforgiveness. Now, of course, again, we're too smart and too godly to blurt out and say, you know, I just can't forgive so-and-so. And so here's what we do. This is what church people do. We put on this spiritual front and say, well, I forgive them, but I won't ever have anything else to do with them. You know, I've learned my lesson. They can get me once, but they won't do it again. I won't give them another opportunity, but I've forgiven them. And then they go into a mode of keeping their distance and avoiding them. And, and you would be surprised how many people quit churches because of conflict with someone in the church and they can't get beyond it. Now, before we go any further, let me try to correct a few myths about unforgiveness. The first myth is this. Time heals all wounds. That's a myth. There are some people that believe, you know, well, if we can just wait long enough, time will heal everything. Time heals nothing. You know, I heard a story about a teenager that had a major argument with uh, with a parent and and she began to carry the hurt and and she carried that hurt year after year after year clear into her senior adulthood and 50, 60 years. And, and if you would have sat her down and, and said, does time heal all of these hurts? She would have said, no way, Jose. Time heals nothing. Time only helps when we forgive someone. And then time will allow us to get on with the process of healing. Here's another myth. I must deny hurt when I forgive. And some people think that they've got to act like it really didn't hurt them when it did. And denial of hurt is a sign of immaturity. Maturity looks at a situation honestly and says, yes, I was hurt by the whole situation. 
but I will not be held hostage by this. Here's another myth. To forgive is to forget. You hear people say, well, they've never really forgiven me because they've not forgotten. Well, well, let's get real. We're human. We can say that we've forgotten about it. But God has created us with a memory. You know, there's a great passage that helps us understand this concept. God says in Jeremiah chapter 31 that he will forgive our sin and remember our iniquity no more. That's a great, great scripture. Now, does that mean that all of a sudden God goes blank and just can't remember our sin anymore? No, no. it, it means that God chooses not to remember our sins. The word forgiven is put over them. And that's the way it should be with our hurts. We will remember that we were hurt, but we should not be consumed or held hostage. But don't expect to all of a sudden just forget about the incident. Here's another myth. And this is a, this is a big one right here. I'll know when the time is right. You find people that say, well, you know, yeah, I'll know when the time is right. I'll feel it whenever I should forgive them. No. Did you know that forgiveness is not natural? The, the default nature of humanity is unforgiveness. And, and so forgiveness is not natural. You, you don't get that fuzzy feeling that, oh, oh, I just got that feeling. Today is the day to forgive. No. Satan will make sure you don't get that fuzzy feeling. Forgiveness is a choice. You choose to forgive. The emotion probably will never be there. You make a decision based on what God's word says. It's right. And you do it. Even if you don't have the warm fuzzies. Here's another myth. Forgiveness and trust are the same things. You, you know... Sometimes people think, well, because they've forgiven someone, they've got to be totally trusting of that person. Not so. <clears throat> I mean, there's a vast difference between forgiveness and trust. One is given, the other is earned. C.S. Lewis said, uh, this doesn't mean that you necessarily believe the next promise, but it does mean that you must make every effort to kill every wish to humiliate, hurt, or pay that person back. So you may forgive, but it doesn't mean that you have to open yourself up to that person because trust has to be earned. So show me someone who struggles with unforgiveness and I'll show you someone who has the right soil for bitterness. And, and, and please, oh, please understand the consequences of an unforgiving heart because Matthew 18, 35 says that if you can't forgive someone else, God won't forgive you. The bridge that takes us to God is the bridge of forgiveness. And, and when we refuse to forgive someone else, you know what we're doing? We're literally blowing up the bridge of forgiveness from God. And, and one more thing, and thank you for all of your amens here. This is awesome. You're just shouting me down here. Praise God. Hallelujah. Something that's common in those people who struggle with bitterness is selfishness. If you're more focused on yourself than others, then you will find yourself beginning to resent it when you think that you're not being treated fairly or you're not being recognized properly. Selfishness many times 
uh, characterizes those who struggle with bitterness. Well, let's move on to number two, the root and the fruit of bitterness. The root of bitterness is always underground and it's easy to hide. That's what makes bitterness so dangerous. Since it's hidden, many times you can camouflage it for a while and, and you won't be able to immediately spot bitterness in people. That's why you can have prominent people in ministry that carry around bitterness. There are a lot, and I hate to say this, but there are a lot of pastors that are bitter. They feel that they were treated unfairly. They are bitter about living in a fishbowl. Bitter about the unfair expectations that are sometimes placed on them. And, you know, I have to just say this. You as a church take such good care of us as staff members. And you're amazing. But many churches don't take good care of their staff. They have unfair expectations of them. Oh, you know, they want their pastors to be poor and their attitude is, God, you keep them humble, we'll keep them poor. They, they want a thoroughbred pastor that can preach like Billy Graham and be on call 24-7 and visit everyone in the church every week, but they don't want to pay them anything. And again, you're so different. Thank you for treating us far better than we deserve. And so there are a lot of pastors that have become embittered because they have to go out and get a second job. The unfair expectations. You know, binoculars are on their family. And again, thank you for treating us so wonderfully. We are just so blessed to be part of this church. There are board members. There are Sunday school teachers that are full of bitterness. Because they, they, they feel they're criticized, you know, un, un, unfairly. Um. And you know, many times we can camouflage it temporarily because the root is hidden. At my farm, west, uh, northwest of, of a town, I'm in a continual battle against locust trees. And I've declared war. I declared war on them about 10, 10 years ago. And I think the official name is honey locust, but here in this area we call them thorny locust. And and uh, I, I don't know, I, I've probably cut down a hundred or so of these, these trees. And, um, and I, uh, just when I think that I've completely eliminated them from my property, and I walk around, um, I, I, look, I look for them, and, and I think I've cleared them out of my property, I'll find one I didn't realize was there. Now, the way that I deal with them, and, and some of you that are, you know, you're, you're farmers and uh, you, you know all about this, but the way that I deal with them is sometimes I will take my chainsaw and I'll put a couple of rings around them. And, uh, you know, just two or three inches deep and just ring them and, and they'll die over the next few months. And supposedly in theory, then that also kills the roots and you don't have to mess with sprouts. But that, that's just in theory. It's not necessarily in reality. Other times I, I cut them down, I'll put stump killer on the remaining stump, and, and supposedly that kills the, the roots, but again, that's just, uh, th that just sounds good. Um, and, and so every spring and every summer, I fight sprouts that pop up from the roots. Even though on top of the ground, everything looks dead, yet the roots still have life in them. That's the way bitterness works. The root is underground. Bitterness is not always visible. 
But on occasion, you see evidences popping up. Well, that takes us to the fruit of bitterness. What, what's the fruit of bitterness? Well, the, the fruit of bitterness is the effect that it has on you. You know, bitterness destroys all areas of your life. And I, I, I talked about this. It, it destroys you, you, you physically. Ulcers, high blood pressure, heart problems, bitterness destroys you emotionally. You become full of anxiety. Many times you go into depression. You experience mood swings. Bitterness will destroy you socially. You'll become a hard-to-be-around person that, that's critical and sour and cranky and people will not enjoy their time with you. And you wonder why nobody wants to be with you. Bitterness will also destroy you spiritually. That closeness to God will disappear. Hatefulness and holiness cannot dwell in the same heart. Lastly, let's look. And if you've been asleep, would you wake up? Because this is where we need to be. Grace and freedom from bitterness. And let me mention three steps to freedom. Number one, be honest with yourself. Quit, quit trying to fool yourself and others with statements of, Oh, I've forgiven them. When really the whole world knows you haven't. And don't use that common statement of, Well, I know my heart. There's no bitterness in me. But the truth of the matter is you don't know your heart. I don't know my heart. The, the Bible tells us in, in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? You know, a, a deceitful heart cannot diagnose a bitter spirit. So you need to let the Holy Spirit do the examining. He's not fooled. Psalm 139, 23 says, search me, O God. We need to pray this. Search me, O oh God, know my heart. Test me, know my thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. There needs to be honesty. Well, the second step is experience true forgiveness. You know, first of all, you need to ask God to forgive you. Bitterness is not just a bad thing. Again, it's sin. Ask God to forgive you. And then secondly, you need to forgive the person who has wronged you. And, and you can't do this on your own. Again, I said that forgiveness is not our default nature. Unforgiveness is our default nature. And, and so you may never feel like this is the time, but choose to forgive. And ask God's wonderful grace to be applied to your hurt. And remember this, justice is, giving, is God giving us what we deserve Mercy is God not giving us what we deserve, but grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. And so even though someone may have meant to hurt us on purpose, it happens. Yet God's grace can come and help us give the other person what they don't deserve. And that's love and forgiveness. And then the third step is let good replace it. In Luke chapter 6, verse 27, it says, But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Did you hear that? We like to stop love because we can kind of do that. But it says, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. You dirty so-and-so, bless them. So-and-so mistreat you. What does it say? It says, pray for those who mistreat you. 
take the evil that was done to you and replace it with good. You say, well, look what they did to me. I'm not going to let them off the hook. Well, they're not on the hook. You are. And when you forgive, listen to this, when you forgive, you set two people free. And one of them is yourself. So don't, um, don't let bitterness grow anymore. Again, Hebrews, we started out with this. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and therefore many be defiled. My dad was, uh, he grew up in Arkansas, and rice and bean country, remembers picking cotton, and... um. My dad was uh, part of a, a, a good family, and when he was born, and uh, dad, dad has is part of three siblings. He's got he had a brother and a, and a sister. But when he was born, his grandma Trussell, uh, when he was just a baby, she took the Bible and and placed his little chubby hands on on the Bible and. And she prayed, oh God, let this child be a man of the word. May he love the word. You know, my dad grew up loving the word. And, you know, my dad's not a great preacher. He didn't have a high level of education. He did, did graduate from college. But uh, my, my dad was just a country boy. <laughs> but dad had something about him that... He loved the Word of God. But anyway, uh, my, my dad and brother and sister, you know, they're, uh, his parents, my, my, my grandpa, he didn't know the Lord. He wasn't, uh, in fact, he was part of a false cult. We, uh, there were some evidences, some signs that right before death that he g- gave his heart to the Lord and we hold on to that hope. Dad's uh, mom, her name was Gladys. Grandma Gladys, she was just a godly saint of the Lord. But anyway, when uh, my dad's sister, Kay, and Kay, and she was the baby of the family, she got married and married someone where there was immediately conflict with uh, my grandparents. And and it wasn't just a conflict of where they disagreed, but it it, it became bitter. I mean, it was ugly. (laughs) You hear these family situations that are ugly. This is one of those ugly situations. And it went on until basically all, all relations, all contact was severed between my grandparents and my Aunt Kay and Uncle Billy. And this went on for years and years. And so when my, my grandparents came down near the end of their life and they were trying to get their will together and they were not wealthy at all. They had a, a few acres, basically no money, but a, some acreage and and uh, they were trying to figure out, you know, who was going to get what. You know, because my grandfather uh, wasn't a follower of Christ. Made a decision that he was going to cut my aunt, dad's sister, out of the inheritance, out of the will. And so they gave, uh, you know, the property. And again, not great resources, but some acreage to, to my uncle, Dale, and to my, my dad. 
left them totally out. Of course, this, that was pretty much expected because there had been no relations for years and years and years. And it had even affected my dad. And it was just an ugly situation. My dad prayed about this and, you know, received his inheritance and began to feel unsettled in the spirit. It's just like something's not right here. And so, you know, my dad was a man of prayer. And, and I remember as a child, just uh, he would be up every morning, 4, 4.30, spend a lot of time with the Lord, reading the word, praying. And, but in one of those times of prayer, he began to feel that he should give part of his inheritance to uh, his sister. And so um, came to the decision that he was going to give 40 acres of the prime property. And again, it's not like dad received hundreds and hundreds of acres, just, just a few acres, but there was 40 acres that was prime. I mean, prime property and the rest was just kind of scrub pasture land. And, and so uh, dad made a call, said, could we meet? And uh, I want to give you this 40 acres and the prop price of property today. It probably been $150,000 property. And uh, they met and dad said, I believe God wants me to give you this 40 acres. And uh, of course they were shocked. They went to the courthouse, signed it over. And the reason I'm telling you this is because, you know, we read the scripture where it said, do good. Do good to those who hate you and mistreat you. Would you believe that at that moment when dad gave that prime piece of property, that broke that broke that spirit of bitterness. There was reconciliation. And, uh, you know, my grandparents were gone by then. They never got to reap the benefit, but my sister or my aunt and my dad became close. In fact, they came up here to, to Eldorado Springs. This was probably 10, 12 years ago. And my Uncle Bill and who at one point could basically, could hardly stand the trussles. He came up to Eldorado Springs and, and came to church here. He said, oh, so I fell in love with this place. If we were closer, and they were nine hours away, but he said, if, if we were closer, we would attend church here. And just that there was that sense of love and unity the way it's supposed to be. Now, I don't say this to, to brag on my dad, even though I want to, because if I can ever be half the man that he is, I'll, I'll be happy. But I just want to say where it says to do good to those who hate you. It's not just a matter of loving them, but the, the Bible clearly says do good to them as well. Love them, forgive them, and do good. And so this morning as we wrap things up, you know, I, I don't know where you are as far as relationships and Maybe everybody loves you and you love everybody. And, you know, I think we would all probably say that. But I've had to come to grips with some issues in my own life to where there are some people that I did not like. And I've had to pray, oh, God, would you break that spirit that's within me? And so as I've been praying this week, I, if there's anything that I would like to see God do with us today is if 
there's a relationship that's broken, could we just take the initial steps, baby steps to bring it back together again? You say, well, you know, it's not my fault. So what? It makes it even more powerful if you go to them and you try to fix it up. And so my prayer for you today, my prayer for me is that those relationships that are fractured, distant, tense, through the power of Jesus Christ, that this week we can see them resolved. Would you bow your heads? Lord, I want to thank you for your word. God, I want to thank you for the instructions your word has. Lord, we know that in life there are always, there are always hurts. Sometimes it's on purpose, intentional. Sometimes it's unintentional. It just happens. Lord, some of us were looking for excuses just to be mad at somebody because it justifies in our minds. But God, I pray that our attitude today would be one that we're going to forgive. We're going to replace with good. And so, Lord, I just pray that uh, right now you would do the work. And God, that we would no longer try to fool ourselves. That as that first step that I talked about is that there would be that honesty. I pray that within our hearts and our minds, there would be that honesty and that we would not be quick to just pass it off, say, well, I've forgiven them when really we haven't. And I pray that, Lord, this week would be a turning point in some relationships to where there's distance and heartache and and hurt. And Lord, that not only would we be able to say, well, I forgive them, but we would be able to go and, and do good to them and show the love of Christ because Lord, anybody can say I forgive them, but it really takes a real man, a real woman, a, a godly person to be able to go to them and, and do good to them. And so, Lord, I pray that whatever you need to do in our hearts and our lives today, that you would do that. And then when we leave here, God, I know what it is. I know what it is to walk out of a service and, and, and you know, the emotion is there. But as soon as that final amen is said and then we start visiting with each other, the emotion is gone. But I pray, God, that we would not rest that we would not be comfortable until every fractured relationship, distant relationship is healed in our lives. And we realize that we can't control the other person. They may say no, they may choose to be distant. But as far as it's up to us, Lord, we want to live in unity with all people and help us to do that. So God, we thank you again. Thank you for your presence. I just feel like you've settled down. I believe you're doing a work that I can't do, but Lord, we need a work by your Holy Spirit. So Lord, what you're going to do for us, we're going to praise you and give you honor and glory. Pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.